0: Everyone and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host Chris K, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back for another episode of Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. And I'm Chris Kay. And we're your hosts for Debating Metal. Today's episode, episode eight, is when did a band or artist lose you and did they get you back?
1: Was there a band you love that maybe changed musical direction or just did something you didn't like and were they able to get you back later on in their career?
0: Sounds like a cool topic.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about it.
0: What did we go over last week? Last week's episode... Uh, we talked about bands who re-recorded their songs or albums, uh, and we mentioned bands: uh, Kiss, Twisted Sister, Anthrax, Iron Maiden, Merciful Fate, Metallica, Deep Purple, Arch Enemy, Testament, White Snake, White Lion, and Pearl Jam. A whole bunch of bands we talked about last week. Was,
1: Speaking of which, uh, at the record store the other day, you picked up uh, Testament's.
0: I did pick up that Testament re-recorded on First Strike Still Deadly. That yeah. was uh, very cool. I, I I personally like the album. I see the internet gave it 50-50 on the reviews, some were good, some were bad, it's all our, what we like. So, uh, Along with that, last week we spoke about the Big Four title tracks, and if you follow us on social media, you know that I posted Chris and I's top Big Four title tracks, I posted the album covers that are associated with those title tracks, so check out that on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, this week's Big Four, our topic is going to be intro songs or openers. That was a real difficult choice for for us to pick. And so later on at the end of the show, we'll reveal our Big Four intro openers. This week, we're going to start off with our segment, What Should You Be Listening To? And Chris, let us know.
1: All right, so I'm going to start off with something new, which is uh, Night of the Witch, Testament's new single. Very cool, very heavy uh, was not expecting what they released. So. I heard
0: it and I think it's really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I listened to it several times over and over because it just was such a cool hook. It was so heavy. As uh, Chuck Billy's vocals were just on point. It was awesome.
0: I only have one criticism, which I I wish that the chorus had been like doubled twice. You know, instead of just once and out. The riff is awesome. The the, vocal- the I mean, very awesome. The melody is awesome. The chorus is awesome. That's why I wish it was twice instead of just once. (laughs) They do it twice at the end of the song. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it would have been even better if they had done that throughout the song. But the song is quite good without it.
1: Yeah, I I really like it. As somebody that kind of fell off of Testament at one point and came back to him, which we'll discuss later. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm-hmm. I wasn't really into... Some of the stuff they did on the last couple albums, it was cool, but it just didn't really, really grab me. But this did, so definitely check it out.
0: Cool, we'll do. My choice for what should you be listening to is actually twofold. Overkill released a new album a year ago, and they have you know they added Jason Bittner, who's basically musicians, musicians, a musicians, musician. He's an excellent drummer, and he really helped overkill bring it to the next level in terms of recording and and all that stuff the album wings of war is really really good but i go back a few albums to the white devil armory and i think that album was one of their best albums in the last 10 years white devil armory set up what's going on now with overkill and uh so the they're going to be coming here to houston we're going to be seeing them pretty soon so that should be exciting yeah i saw Um, them
1: a few years back i want to say it was around 2012 that is a few years back
0: yeah eight years ago yeah So yeah, I'm looking for, I haven't seen them since 1988, so that tells you how long it's been. A
1: few years before. (laughs) Right, so
0: um, let's get on with this week's topic, Uh, when did a band or artist lose you? Chris, why don't you go ahead and start us off.
1: Okay, so I'm going to start off with a band I love, I've listened to since I was a kid, it's Creator. Okay, cool. Creator's a thrash band uh, from Germany, if you're not familiar with them, a very kind of underground I guess in the US not as big as some of the other bands because they were mostly germ you know uh, they were mostly a european act right and the reason big reason for that is if if you're coming from overseas and you don't have a huge audience to play to it's very difficult for a lot of those bands to come over here and they did tour a lot when they first started. It was kind of in the middle of their career that it became difficult when the 80s metal kind of dropped off the map around the time of alternative rock. Right, There was a while there where they would just weren't getting the audience that they, they needed to, to justify a U.S. tour.
0: Right. If you're not a headline act, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to come over here and tour even as an opening act. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have label support, which a lot of labels kind of disappeared in, in the, the late 90s, or you know even in the early early 90s a lot of a lot of labels were not promoting metal whatsoever yeah so it it found it difficult to kind of pick up on a tour and so yeah it, it makes it difficult especially on the european bands
1: well what ended up happening with them is they they released one of my favorite albums was Com- coma of souls mm-hmm. it's probably their most recognizable album to most us right, fans i remember that album so after that was really kind of the around the time that uh Industrial music was hitting, kind of Nine Inch Nails. Ministry. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, they released an an album that was kind of a mix between death metal and industrial, which was Renewal. I wasn't a fan.
0: So was that sort of similar to like Fear Factory?
1: Uh, Yeah, kind of. It just didn't do anything for me from from coming from uh, a very strictly thrash band. Mm -hmm. It was very out of the ordinary, just... Came out of left field, and it didn't it didn't appeal to me. Okay, they they did the next album, which was another industrial kind of style album, which was Cause for Conflict, which I actually liked a lot more. It's not one of my favorites, but I I at that point I was like, okay, there that was just a blip on the radar, no big deal. Okay, but then the next two albums came out, which was Outcast and Endorama, and those went from industrial to alternative metal. Oof. And that was just too far left field, and I just couldn't get behind it. And By the time the last one Indorama came out from that era, mm-hmm. I just I couldn't listen to it at all.
0: Wow, that's a that's a shame because they were a really up and coming band in that, in that late eighties mm-hmm. and nineties
1: thing. And I understand experimentation, and that's that's what bands need to do sometimes to to keep going when they're they're bored of what are they what they're putting out. I get that, but. It's just, it, when it's so far different than what you, you've come to expect from the band, sometimes it's just hard to continue with them.
0: Yeah, S- similar to some you know, famous bands we know in the 90s. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, what, what the ended up happening, though, after that album, they finally released a follow-up, which was uh, Violent Revolution, okay. which is my favorite creator right.
0: album. So, so they brought you back.
1: They did, because not only did they return to their thrash roots, but they brought in melodic metal. Kind of like the Gothenburg kind of sound, right? Okay, and so it was. It was just everything from that point. They did uh, Enemy of God, Hordes of Chaos, Phantom Antichrist, and the newest album, which is escaping me at the moment. But uh, <laughs> it, everything they've released has just been spot on since that point. Yeah, and it, and it's it's only increased in quality. I, that being said, like I still the the Return album. Was my favorite, mm-hmm. but I think there's, there's more to it that there's that emotional connection to it. There's the nostalgia that's that moment with saying, Oh my gosh, they're back on track. This is what I expect out of them. That's maybe why I think that, but they've, they've increased in quality in what they're putting out because they, they've only gone uh, further and further experimenting, but in the direction that I ap- appreciate, I guess.
0: And, and that's, that's a good thing. Especially a band that's been around that long. Speaking of bands that have been around that long, one of my favorite bands has had a couple of lulls in their career. A couple. A couple. And and I would say this the second lull is not as much as the, this, not as bad as the first lull. And some people may not even think it's a lull. But basically, I was a hardcore fan for Iron Maiden from 1982 on. I mean, I got introduced to them with Number of the Beast. I you know and. Ever since then, I've been a, a really diehard fan. But they lost me after Bruce left. They had a hard time there in the early 90s with um, No Prayer for the Dying and Fear of the Dark. And, you know, when I went to see them during the Fear of the Dark tour, they were playing theaters. They, you know, they weren't playing the big the big arenas anymore. And that was okay. I mean, I got to see him. It was funny because uh, Testament opened up for them. And I missed Testament. Got there right as the the bombs were blasting for the um, I forgot what the lead song was. I think it was "Be Quick or Be Dead." I don't remember anyway. Um, the the PA went out, so they had to start. Bruce is you know encouraging everybody to sing as the as <laughs> the audience was literally guiding the band through the song because no one could hear <clears throat> Bruce singing. So that was strange uh, and fun. It's
1: strange, but a kind of a cool experience. I've had
0: I've had weird issues with Iron Maiden concerts like for, since the beginning when I saw my you know I was around when Bruce uh, someone threw an, an M-80 firecracker on stage almost blew the sound guy's face off oh wow you know, the the front of house guy and Bruce got real pissed and it was in the middle of uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and he had someone he pointed someone out and had security throw him out that was uh, crazy it, that was real dangerous so, something's always gone wrong between Iron Maiden and Anthrax. I always have some weird kind of issues at the concerts. But anyway, to get back to the main point.
1: Well, I would, I would definitely agree with you. I mean, to me, the last album that I really loved was uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Right. I mean, that was and up until later on in their career. But mm-hmm. there was that, that those couple albums No Prayer for the Dying, Fear of the Dark, and then the stuff with Blaze Bailey, which just. Completely lost
0: me. Well, and that's where I was headed. Mm-hmm. See, because what I liked about No Prayer was that recording-wise, they went back to a more raw kind of sound. Yeah. I liked it. Other people didn't like it. The, the songs were a little weaker, were definitely weaker. I mean, Adrian Smith was definitely missing. Yeah, I mean, from he that. had,
1: what, two songwriting credits on that album? And, Something like that. Yeah. But
0: basically, he was non-existent, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part. So he was he was one that was kind of accepting of all the synthesizers and the, the 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 direction Iron Maiden was going. So when he left that, you know, Steve kind of wanted to get back to basics and he didn't want to get back to basics. So that's why he ended up leaving. They make this album basically on the fly. They had just, Steve had just set up his studio barnyard in the back of his uh, estate, if you want to call it that. So, and it wasn't completely ready. It was, I think a mobile studio at the time for the next album. It, it worked. So, they They kept me going because Seventh Son and the tour was long and then a couple of years, it took two years for that album or the next album, No Prayer, to come out. So No Prayer comes out, Fear of the Dark comes out, and Bruce leaves. And then, you know, there was a, a, a period of time there where they, they, were, they didn't do anything. They released those two, uh, a live one. yeah, a they one. released a, a real live one and a real dead one. And I, I liked it because I wasn't too big on the newer songs, but that Real Dead one had all the classics on it. It was pretty cool, but it was just a throwaway so that they can basically kill time while they, they got their new singer and recorded their new album. X-Factor comes out with Blaze Bailey. I just couldn't get it. I didn't like the, the, the fact that it started off with a 10-minute slow song, Sign of the Cross. It just wasn't my thing. And I never really grasped that album, and I kind of just faded away liking Iron Maiden. Then
1: to stop you there, uh-huh. um it was more than that for me, because to me, that was the whole package that sold an album. I remember going to record stores when I was a kid and just picking out an album based on the cover. Um I mean, they didn't have headphones or anything for you to listen to these things. I mean, right. it was it was a small record store that they had a lot of metal. So I just had to go based on a cool picture. Right. And I got to say, like seeing X Factor, there was nothing about that album that appealed to me.
0: If you remember a few weeks back, that was my number one Bad uh, album big cover. four worst album cover. Yeah. So yeah, that album cover was terrible. So that that didn't help the yeah, appeal were- to the album whatsoever. And then to open it, listen to it, you know, and and have the songs not be as good as what you hope or expected, that was just a major disappointment. Mm-hmm. Then Virtual Eleven comes out a few years later, and it was more of the same. Although I did kind of get excited when I when I heard the the, the lead track. Off of that um which, which is my favorite on the album escapes okay. me right now future real future real that album, when i heard that i said oh they're writing again like the way they used to with bruce and i used to immediately thought bruce perfectly fit that song future real but then angel and the gambler came on and i was like whoa what is this and it, it just went downhill from there i never gave the album a chance um listening listening to it recently still not very good but I can pick out the highlights and say, okay, I can pick two or three songs from that album. Obviously the Klansman's on that album, Future Reels on that album. There's a few good songs, but overall it's just not a strong album. It's not as a well.
1: cohesive album. It's very disjointed.
0: Right. So they yeah. lost me for that whole entire period. Now, on top of that, okay, that period of time I would say for me, ninety three to ninety seven, that's a four year, maybe even ninety-eight, five year period. It was real difficult for me in terms of music I wasn't no longer involved in the music industry I wasn't working after oh i I was working for, for up until ninety six i wasn't as involved as I was before so I lost track of a lot of bands. Iron Maiden was one of them i just I just lost it now when uh, they came back in ninety nine in two thousand i mean ninety nine jo- Bruce joins again they release Ed Hunter. Bruce does the cover, or not cover, but they re record Raspchild, which we spoke about last week, <laughs> and then they come out with a Brave New World. It's a six-piece band. Adrian comes back. It's amazing. Yeah, Brave the, Brave New World sucked me back in, and I'm like, yes, this is the band that I've been missing. That
1: was it for me too. I remember. I remember the album coming out. I remember, you know, seeing the cover. I didn't hear Ed Hunter until way later, Mm -hmm. Um, so I didn't. I wasn't even aware that that was a was an existing album. To be honest, even though it was a compilation, but yeah, Brave New World. Though uh, I heard the first song I heard was uh, Wicker Man.
0: Wicker Man, that's just amazing. And it just
1: it yes, absolutely back on track.
0: Right. I from that point on, I was back on the Iron Maiden bandwagon. Then a matter of life and death came out. (laughs) <laughs> cuz I was uh, I was with them on Dance of Death. But even then I kind of started to fade away uh, a little bit. They weren't touring the US like they had in the past. So that was another big problem. I didn't get to see shows and I didn't get to see Iron Maiden. They put out uh, A Matter of Life and Death and and I I just felt it wasn't that strong. It it was a, Iron Maiden have completely changed their style. Not that it's for the worse. I like what they're doing. But there are some things about that style that just doesn't jive with the old Iron Maiden. And it's been taking a long time to get used to the fact that they're not the same band. Yeah, Even though the same, mostly the same people, they just have a different writing style. They, they age, they progress, and it's fine. Then they came out with Final Frontier, another one which I didn't give a chance. But now I realize there are some pretty good songs on there. And to me, it was like Brave New World. It went down a little bit with Dance of Death. It went down... To whatever lower peak they had with a matter of life and death, and then they began to come back up. Final Frontier was a little bit better than Mat- Matter of Life and Death, and then the Book of Souls was just it jumped right back up to you know Dance of Death almost right be- right underneath Brave New World in terms of level.
1: See, I would I feel a little bit differently about it because I like uh, a,
0: a, a matter of life matter and of death. life and death. Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't give, just because of what was going on in my life at the time, I didn't give uh, Final Frontier much of a chance. But like you said, I, there's some pretty good songs on there. And uh, it now, going back, I've enjoyed it. But during that time, right. that's kind of when I dropped off. Exactly. Um, and then when Book of Souls came out, I didn't even hear it, probably for the first year. But there was other stuff going on in my life at the time that I just... Right. I just couldn't keep track of everything. And,
0: that, and that's where a lot of these things happen. When did a band lose you? you, you kind It also depends on what's going on with you in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, For Iron Maiden, for me, The Final Frontier, what I liked what Maiden was doing was they were having those legacy tours along with a new tour. A legacy tour, new tour, in terms of new, new album. So it's new album, legacy, new album, legacy. You and I recently went to see the Legacy of the Beast tour, mm-hmm. which is a legacy tour. Even that being a legacy tour, we know... There's a tremendous rumor of a new album coming out. The Book of Souls tour was really awesome. I got to see that one. So there's so much in the Iron Maiden camp going on. They've got me completely wrapped up. And I'm harder core than I ever have been. Oh, yeah. Same. Who are we going to talk about next?
1: Uh, Let me talk about Megadeth.
0: Megadeth. Uh, They've always
1: been one of my favorite bands. And I think where it started dropping off for me was actually probably one of their most popular albums. Which is uh, Countdown to Extinction? Really? To me, it was it was a departure of everything that they were doing. It was more commercial, and it just didn't. The songs didn't hit me in the same way.
0: Honestly, well, um, I would have I would have figured out. I would have thought a little bit later because I really I have them on my list too, mm-hmm. but mine came a few years later. Yeah, uh, mine came in '95 for '97 for Cryptic Writings. Really? Okay. Yeah, I was just like that. That lost me there.
1: well see what for me it was is that those those first few albums were so heavy and and just kind of violent i don't know a better way to put it they just they were there you know they, they they smacked you in the face yeah and and this just seemed different to me and i liked it initially and i still like songs on it but it was it was the beginning of where i started to Right, you especially
0: know. coming off of Rust in Peace, which mm-hmm. was such a strong album.
1: Yeah, it's it's my second favorite album from Megadeth, but it's probably their best. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I like Peace sells better, but overall I can recognize that Rust in Peace is probably a better album.
0: I, I like Rust in Peace a lot. Now, as far as Countdown to Extinction is concerned, again, and you and I have talked about this before, to me it was a pattern that they were following because Dave was always what he would consider in Metallica's coattails. So Metallica in nineteen ninety one for the black album went commercial. You know, since uh Rust Rust and Peace came out in nineteen ninety, they were that was behind. So the next album that, that Megadeth did, seeing the success that Metallica had with going commercial, they went a little bit commercial of uh, less with- so. Right, with, with uh Countdown. And they progressively got more and more commercial as yeah. time went on. Because I thought the same thing with Euthanasia.
1: I didn't like Euthanasia. You know,
0: and but I liked the two lead songs off it. I like Train of Consequences, I like A Tout but it, it was definitely a weaker album and then Cryptic Writings and it was just like wow. It just went way cryptic down. cryptic
1: writings I could I enjoyed. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed Risk, uh, I mean, I didn't even give Risk a chance. There's a couple songs on Risk. Yeah, but there's still a couple songs on Risk that are not bad. It wasn't until A World Needs a Hero, and I remember watching the commercial during wrestling. Mm -hmm. Um, they, They had a commercial that was advertising the album coming out, and... I remember they played one of the songs on the commercial, and it just really captured my attention. And I wish I could remember what it was now. But it's
0: motorcycle, probably.
1: It probably was, but because that was the big
0: single off of that album.
1: Yeah, and I just remember going out and getting the album as soon as it came out because I was so excited about
0: it. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of upheaval with Megadeth at that point too. Yeah, Dave but, wasn't. there Dave Ellison
1: wasn't in the yeah, band anymore at that point.
0: Right, Dave Ellison wasn't in the band. Um, they had changed record companies after being on Capitol for so long. Mm-hmm. So, so the the late '90s, from '95 on, did not or was not kind to Megadeth. The one song that they did have in there that I didn't even know about, I had no clue, "Kill the King," which is probably one of my favorite Megadeth songs. Yeah, came awesome out, song. I think, in '98 or somewhere on one of their greatest hits albums. And that was that album. I mean, excuse me, that song was incredible. So that kind of steered them back towards, you know, what came out on A World Needs a Hero. Yeah. But, it, you know, in between that, from Countdown all the way down, and Countdown to me is one of, to me is a really, really strong album. Um, it it I is. I love It just didn't appeal that album. to me. Right. I, I get it. You know, but both you and I had the same feeling. Megadeth lost it somewhere along the way, and they picked it up with A World Needs a Hero. So.
1: Yeah, they just didn't have the same edge. You know, for me, it's always been about... You know, kind of the emotion that's put behind the music. And and there's still emotion, and I could still feel it with it. But it just wasn't what I was attracted to at the time.
0: Right. And that that being said, with Megadeth, A World Needs a Hero comes out. They get strong again, and they go through a period where they're, I guess, for whatever you can say, they were strong. Mm -hmm. Then they kind of have some up and down albums along the way. Until last year, oh, not last year. It was like two years ago now. Uh, Dystopia came out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much enjoyed everything that they did after A World Needs a Hero. I liked the stuff that they did with uh, Chris Broderick and uh, um, what was uh,
0: the Grover Brothers? Uh, Grover Dro- Grover. <laughs> <laughs> the Drover Brothers, Sean and and, and uh, um, God, can you remember his name? Sean Drover, and was it Greg? Um,
1: it's escaping me. I know.
0: It's the Drover Brothers.
1: Well, regardless, I I liked those albums. Um, they their United Abominations is is actually one I really enjoy. It doesn't have David Ellison on it, but it's a really strong album. It's just kind of overlooked.
0: It is, and they had. I mean, they were, Was it thirteen? That was a strong album. Thirteen was good, but I didn't like Super Collider. Super that Collider. Much. They tried to go commercial again. A little and bit. And it was like, come yeah. on, what are you doing? You, that's not you. And even the band knew it. there was something wrong and everybody kind of guessed it and then all of a sudden I mean with Dystopia it was just like yeah, this is it was almost like Dystopia is almost an extension of Rust and Peace yeah they brought they brought
1: on Kiko Lorero from Mm -hmm. uh, Angra right and it just it's such a heavy album so good Um, the lyrics are better that was the biggest gripe I had about Super Collider was the lyrics to me just were childish childish childish. yeah Yeah.
0: they weren't as mature Mm -hmm. so Megadeth Comes back to us in about the same time, 2000. I think it was it a time that the mm-hmm. world needs a hero. So what other band are we talking about? You mentioned Testament earlier. And I'm going to go ahead and talk about them with Testament. Testament, for me, I got into them in, uh, with The New Order. And that album came out. I wasn't really big into the Legacy album. Um, I hadn't heard I heard. I had seen the video for Over the Wall. But I never really got into the legacy. But the, when when I saw the video for Trial by Fire that came off of the New Order, that hooked me. That brought me in. And I became a big fan. Practice What You Preach, Souls of Black. After that, that's when they started having personnel issues.
1: And, so with the Ritual.
0: And the yeah, with the Ritual. Right after that, Alex Skolnick left, and so there was some upheaval there. I, I'm not sure if Louis Clemente left at that point too or not, the drummer. But I think he did. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, yeah, because yeah, he, he was yeah. in and out uh, for a bit, and they released a live album. I think it was live in London, and then they released Low with a new drummer. I think that was John Tempesta, and a new and new guitar player. I can't even remember the guitar player's name because I don't think it was important. Low was a, was basically a low point for them. They were basically the last album that they had on Atlantic Records, and it went nowhere. There was no promotion behind it, and Testament kind of fell off the face of the earth for three years. I mean, they, they struggled for the next three years. I mean, dropped by the label. They finally decided to come back with Demonic in 1997. I still, I could not get on that bandwagon. They tried to become a death metal band. Then that wasn't Testament. They lost me with Lowe, and they stayed lost until the formation of Damnation which was not too many years ago. I think was probably six years ago. I think something like that. That album brought me back. And then it was Dark Roots of the Earth. That album totally brought me back. I love that album. Uh, The first four songs, Rise Up, uh, Native Blood, Formation, I mean, um, Dark Roots of the Earth, and uh, All American Hate. Those four songs are awesome. Then they did a Power Slave cover. I think the band is stronger than it's ever been. They have... uh,
1: have half of death. <laughs> yeah,
0: they have half of death. Yeah, they have Steve uh, DiGiorgio. Giorgio. I was going to say Gene Hogan. I was going to say his name wrong again. I'm glad you <laughs> cut me off. So they have Steve and they have Hogland and album. The band is tighter than ever. I mean,
1: yeah, it's a little more technical. Mm-hmm. I think it pushes Alex Skolnick a bit, which is good, and he I mean, wants he's to. very. Yeah, he's very talented, but if you're not surrounded by musicians that are pushing you to do greater things, then it's not going to get better. Right. And uh I I think they're yeah, they're definitely a tighter band. Um my experience with them is a little different because I'm younger mm-hmm. and uh I didn't I didn't listen to them when they first came out because I wasn't alive. Um <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm I I always picked up albums in order. And that's always the way i like to listen to them. Okay. And when I was younger, I had more time to do that than now. Now I kind of go through it for you know quickly, but I would latch onto one album and I would listen to it until you know I felt like I was ready to go to the next one. And that's what I did with Testament. I started off with the first albums and kept going. And I, but the first one that I heard was the Ritual, um, mm-hmm. and that was because my friend had it. I that was my idea of what Testament was, and I went back and listened, and I progressed back up to The Ritual. Okay. So um, I then I heard Low, and I had no interest. Uh, it just yeah, didn't... It, it
0: wasn't a good album. Yeah, it didn't do anything for I mean, me. the song Low is really good, and it, I think that's the highlight of the Low album. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, the, the stuff after that, just like you said, it just didn't really... You know, I I like death metal, and it didn't really do yeah. anything for me. I don't,
0: it, it, it didn't come across as genuine. That uh-huh. was that was part of the issue. It was kind me. of forced. I mean, a lot of people like demonic. You know, a lot of people think that they got back to what they are now with the gathering. It's closer
1: than to to what they are now. Right, but yeah.
0: it's it still was not that strong. It, it just that period there, late nineties. Just was not kind for t- for Testament whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I I, um, I went to see them during the um, the tour, uh, the Dark Roots of the Earth tour. Okay, I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't it wasn't my favorite, and it got better with Brotherhood of the Snake to me, and that was where they really. Kind of had me back.
0: You and I were probably in the same room during that. Oh no, you saw them the year before I did. I saw them on the second half, the second leg of that tour. Okay, because we talked about that recently, and I remember you talking about that show. And I wasn't at that location because I was at the House of Blues. You yeah, saw it.
1: It, w- it wasn't a, a great show. I mean, the, technically it was a good show, but there were some audio issues going on with the uh, wireless mics, and mm. the, it just—it wasn't my favorite live performance. It, it was there was. A lot of issues going on that just kind of took away from the show.
0: That's a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to come up to our next band. And, and this band is one of those bands I've been through thick and thin with. And I think, much like Eddie Trunk, not that I'm done with them, but it's just they're there and they exist. And I'm talking about KISS. And Kiss, I've been a fan of Kiss since nineteen seventy eight. We've or seventy seven. We've talked about this before. They were they were what got me into this metal thing. We listened to oh, that thing. <laughs> that thing, yeah. And Kiss, I went through the disco period with them. I went through the Elder period with them, and I did not back down. I liked the Elder. I still like the Elder. It's not a hard rock album. It's got elements, but it's a terribly weak album that has a few highlights. You have to look past that. I liked Dynasty. I liked Unmasked. I was a huge defender of KISS during that period. They came back strong with Creatures of the Night. So for me, I, they didn't lose me. They didn't lose me at, at all. You know. So Creatures of the Night, then came Lick It Up, Asi- uh, Animalize, Asylum. I was with them all the way. All the way through the non-makeup years. Revenge. I loved Revenge. I thought that was what you call a return to form. I love that album. You know, I got to see them. I had third row, went nearly deaf at their show. <laughs> uh, third row in front of the PA. That was pretty uh, right there in front of me. But they lost me after the reunion. I mean, I got to see them twice. With the Psycho Circus with So it was, the reunion happened after Unplugged. You know, I was really big with the conventions that we spoke about on the previous episode. The company I worked for, Specs Music, uh in florida uh was was the florida sponsor for their music so or or the official distributor for their music during the kiss conventions while while in florida i think they had two or three florida shows so i was there so i got invited to basically work the show since i was a store manager i got to meet kiss it was great got to spend the whole day so instead of spending 100 bucks to get into the show i got in for free after that they had the unplugged on mtv they reunited because you know, they brought back Peter, Chris, and Ace for the Unplugged show. I saw the Unplugged, uh, excuse me, I saw the reunion tour, which was awesome. You know, getting, getting to hear some of the old songs, getting them to see them back in makeup again. Ace, Freely and Peter, Chris, the original guys on stage. It was, I mean, it was a KISS fan's dream. And then came Psycho Circus. And it was like, this is not a KISS fan's dream whatsoever. It was a disaster. Everything yeah, that...
1: everything I know about it was a nightmare from beginning to yeah. end.
0: So... And I got to see them on that tour, which was supposed to be the farewell tour. I mean, I got, I was in a, I was in a suite. It's not even a suite. It was a booth, suite booth area at, at this outdoor amphitheater. And Paul Stanley's stage where he f- flies across the, um, the audience during Love Gun was one leg was in my booth that I was in. So I, c- I could have reached out and touched his boot if I wanted to, but I had to be nice. Should have stolen his boot. I Well, I couldn't steal it, but if I were broken the heel, then what happens? <laughs> so at that point between a really bad album kiss not really feeling it you know and basically saying you know we give up we're done with this is farewell they just kind of you know they fell off the the radar even though they put out i i like sonic boom i like i did not like monster as much but sonic boom i thought was a good album they really didn't release new music i mean they released carnival of souls as a something that the fans demanded because I heard bootlegs of it and you know, they did psycho circus, but the fans, so they
1: recorded it before. Oh yeah. Yeah. But then they released it after.
0: Yeah. That was recorded, I believe in
1: 1994. Oh wow.
0: okay. Um, it was before, it was before the convention tour that they did. They had already put that in the can and shelved it to some degree. I, I think they were preparing to get, to get it released after the uh, convention tour and they reunited with Peter and Ace um, they basically canned it. They shelved it, and they said no. Bootlegs were circulating uh, through some of the the uh, independent conventions that they were having, and uh, the fan shows. And then all of a sudden, they reunited. They put out Psycho Circus. The fans were like, "What happened to Carnival Souls?" Because they had heard yeah, about Kiss it.
1: Yeah, Kiss fans are rabid. They, oh, yeah. they know it exists. They want it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, and what it was, it was much. It was much heavier. And at that time they were kind of going a little grunge. I mean mm-hmm. they had it's the albums produced by Dave Jordan, who's the same guy who did Oh no, not Dave Jordan. I think it was Toby Wright, who's the one who did um Dirt for uh Alice, Alice in Chains. Chains. Yeah. Yep. So th- there they were heavy and then they just literally tanked it and they said, "No, we're going to just put it out and they they tried to do Psycho Circus, which to their credit, they still play Psycho Circus today the song. Which I don't get because it's not that strong of a song. They were literally opening the tour with that. I'm like, uh, I didn't feel it. I, so. Well, I
1: think they had to, to some degree, because they were pushing this new reunion so hard. There were toys, there were all kinds of new merchandise they were putting out there. They were back in the makeup. Mm-hmm. And that was, the, you know, that was part of it. Like, go all in. On this product that
0: they're putting out. I mean, they, they went all in, but it was, you know, they played a few songs off of it because I think they played Into the Void live. Mm-hmm. I think they were trying to give everybody a spotlight. They gave Peter a spotlight. But in the end, all the reasons, or part, part of the reasons that they left to begin with Peter and Ace surfaced again and they, and yeah. they ended up leaving.
1: Much like the the D.O. reunion of Black Sabbath. It just... Right. All the stuff that came out before just
0: came up again. Exactly. So Kiss... Being the professionals that they are, said, you know what, we're going to keep going. They brought in you know, Eric Singer, who was the drummer for you know Carnival of Souls and Revenge, who replaced Eric Carr. They they brought him in, and then they had Tommy Thayer basically as part of the the camp. I guess he was part of the company, the Kiss Corporation. Tommy Thayer was one of the the main people behind the scenes. He's the one who put the Kiss conventions together. Um, I got to meet him that day, so he, you know it's always. It was it was pretty cool to see that this guy was a fan, you know, a guitar player for Black and Blue was a Kiss fan. He was working for the Kiss machine. And then That's The Ultimate Dream, right? Oh yeah, and then he put together all of the uh, the Kiss um, box sets that came out of the videos. Now he's in the band. He he replaces Ace Frehley and Ace Frehley comes back and then he replaces Ace Frehley again and then just finally they said, "You know what? We're done." So they put him in the makeup and they just they, they never left. Which, you know what, quite honestly, I don't. I don't see the appeal as to why they continue to do the makeup. I really don't think they need to, but they believe that, that that's what they are. More power to them. I. They lost me after Psycho Circus. Although I listened to Sonic Boom, I've listened to Monster. I like some of the songs, but it's not the same kind of emphasis or rabidness that I used to be. Yeah, back in your the day.
1: your perspective just changed.
0: Right. Unlike Metallica, which has never really gone down for me you know kiss kind of just went you know somewhere else i'm kind of there with eddie trunk about you know should they or should they not have those guys in makeup i don't know i don't really care in the end but because they are not doing anything new anymore it's kind of like eh, what, you know what whatever it is it is
1: they've become a nostalgia act
0: oh for sure they're definitely mm-hmm. a nostalgia because they're not even playing anything off the new albums what do you got
1: I wanted to talk about Arch Enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the album from 2014, which was called War Eternal, honestly, in 2014, that was my favorite album. Okay. I was I was so so into it. It was so good, well written, lyrically driven, but also uh, just amazing. Is that work. with the
0: new singer or the late? That's the, with the, the new singer, singer Alyssa
1: okay. White Glues. Okay. Then there was a, a little bit of controversy afterward. Uh, there was a a uh, photographer that went to one of the shows. It was a pre- he was a pretty regular guy and a fan of the band, but a, a professional photographer named Jay Salmeron. Mm-hmm. He uh, he had taken some some great shots of one of the shows he went to, and then he sees one of his photos that he had posted online with his watermark on right. it, and the singer Alyssa Whiteglue had had taken that that image and posted it. Along with, uh, you know, some info about the band herself. And, mm-hmm. and, and so he contacted their representatives and said, hey, this is, you know, my image. The standard procedure with that kind of thing is if you're the photographer, they pay you for that. Right. She felt like because it was a photo of her, then she owned it which okay. is not okay. how it
0: works. No, it does not work. I am a photographer and I know that that doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah, you can take a photograph of, of anything in the world and that's your photograph. Mm-hmm. If there's certain rules, like say you're at a concert and you say you don't want photographers there, then that's your, your right to say, but they never said that. Right. So the argument became, and it became such a heated debate, and honestly the band lost a lot of fans because of It, it was because they don't own that material. No, you don't. And so it it was such a an ordeal that it really lost I lost respect for them. Right. the the rest of the band either had no comment or defended her. And the the argument that many fans had was, oh well, you know, I I found this on YouTube, so I guess it's mine. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a fine line because you know, there's so many things that are out there, and once it gets printed once, or, or not even printed, but it, it gets. Copied once into one somebody's website and it goes on to another website and all of a sudden the person four or five websites down is just picking images off of Google and he goes oh I like this one without needing or wanting to get the rights for it because he's basically saying you know what? I just I'm just putting it on here and boom you know everyone else has it but that's not how it works especially if there's a guy's watermark on it the mm-hmm. guy has a watermark on it you need to ask him and most of the time most of the time if it's something which is, is not you know it's not going to be um, something that generates money. They they say yeah sure go ahead and use it, but at least get permission. You know per- you can say permission was
1: not asked. Right. And and the thing is, if let, let's just say this, that most guys out there, they they're not going to just aggressively say to, you know you owe me money. It's hey this is mine. Can you either take it down or pay me for it? I did the mm-hmm. work. You know this is this is my property. Um, I'd appreciate you taking it down. But just such a hard nosed approach to it, and really just disregarding the law right. is what bothered me. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I just I have a hard time. And the guy was very nice about it. He posted all the information. You can find it easily online. Um, all the information, the letters or the or the emails that went back and forth, and they're unaltered. They're they're there for anybody to see. And it's just it's kind of really taken away from my ability to just really enjoy listening to the band.
0: And it's that, hard. It's hard for you to separate your disdain for that particular incident mm-hmm. from the band now. Yeah,
1: as an artist myself, it's it's really a, a topic that hits me hard because I've seen so many people take images online and just say, "This is mine." Just no. It's it's mm-hmm. it's not that way. You know, if somebody puts in the hard work, puts in the time, puts in not not, and it's not just a monetary thing. This is something they created. And you're taking that and mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't, yeah, I mean,
0: even myself, you know, with my Kenneth Dean photography Instagram page, I've had people like my images and then send me a direct message. Hey, can I use this or can I repost this? And you're reposting it on Instagram, you know, so but as they're long- handling that the right way. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, they're asking for permission. Can I repost this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not getting anything money wise out of it, but you, you're getting exposure I mean, I've had a few, you know, a, a couple of magazines uh, ask me for for some pictures that I've posted on on Instagram. As far as reposting it on their page, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've agreed to it, yeah, as they as long as they give me credit. And every single time they've given me credit, and that's fine. Did it get me exposure? It Got me a few new fans. Okay, great. But you know, when if it comes to something where you're you're like you said, they're <coughs> using it in a promotional way, there's got to be some sort of financial. Not I don't even want to use reward. Just a financial commitment to say yeah, you know we're gonna buy this from you. You know give you a couple hundred bucks and Absolutely. thank you very much. I mean and it doesn't take a lot. I mean you probably tell the guy it's you know he'll probably say fifty, hundred, hundred fifty, but whatever it is, you know is the band gonna make a bajillion dollars off of it? No, but still it's it's about the no, principle. No, and, of and as
1: artists themselves they should exactly. be recognizing
0: because they don't they don't want their music stolen. Exactly, and they're gonna probably fight those types of people who are stealing their music even though everyone steals music nowadays they should know cuz they're on the receiving they're end they're having of to that fight too. that battle themselves right so that that's it's
1: i mean it didn't help their cause that i didn't really enjoy their, their newest album of power anyway
0: <laughs> so they, they they haven't gotten you back yet
1: no not at all and it's too bad because I've been a, a fan of them for a very long time. And I just, I, I really honestly just have a hard time justifying an artist stealing from another artist.
0: I, I totally understand that. So that leads me to something I wanted to talk about. that's still all part of this topic. This is not about the band losing anybody in a way, but I think part of the reason why bands lose fans is because they take too long. In between albums to create basically to create the album whatever the process may be so for instance let's let's pick AC/DC. okay 1990 i think it was they come out with um the razor's edge it's not until 1995 i think that they come out with Ballbreaker. that's a five-year period so many things happen the focus of people just goes away i mean AC/DC is no longer they haven't been around for five years and, and at that time of, of the music world, everything went from metal to grunge. And then an alternate, it wasn't even grunge. I mean, it was alternative metal, alternative rock really took off. And ACDC, you talk about dinosaur bands. They were already considered a dinosaur band. They come back with a hit on The Last Action Hero. So it's five years later. Then after Ball Breaker, it's not for another four years, I think. That they come out with their next album. And so they literally been doing a four or five, almost six year wait in between records. Those kinds of things back when you think about what they did in the 70s, you know, they, they popped out two albums in 76, album in 75. An album in 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 80, 81, then went to 83. Yeah, it was pretty you much. Know, every year. Every Kiss year. Kiss was doing, you know, for the first five years of their life, they were doing two albums a year.
1: Iron Maiden put one out
0: every one year. One album every, every year until Power Slave, okay? Bands, especially metal bands, were, were putting out albums every single year. It was album, tour, album, tour. the The process is still that way today. Now it's... Album takes, you know, anywhere from six months to a year to make. Tour takes S-times anywhere. <laughs> I mean, a tour takes anywhere from a year to two years to complete. And in most cases, like, for instance, Queensryche for a while now, when they got with Todd LaTorre, they were doing album tour, album tour, album tour. But it was every two years. So they would you know, and they were taking a few months, a few to six months to, to make an album. And then they would tour for a year and a half. This latest tour has actually been going on for almost two and a half years now, and uh, there's no end in sight as far as when they're going to get to the new album. Metallica, they're notoriously bad for this now all of a sudden.
1: That's one I wanted to definitely bring up, because they did lose me a long time ago with the the hiatus that they took up until St. Anger, Mm -hmm. and St. Anger was such a disappointment to me. It was almost unrecoverable in my eyes, because it was so bad in my eyes right. for what i expected out of them i had heard from multiple people and it may have been just word of mouth but it was there was such an expectation this was a return to form from what they were doing before right. uh, the load and reload and it just wasn't and it wasn't good and it, it there was so little on it that i could enjoy that at that point i had written off metallica entirely
0: yeah that was that was definitely a tough period of time from going with S and M in 1999, uh, and then in 2001 with the the Napster lawsuit. Oh yeah, you I know, had so st- you, even
1: stuck through with them through yeah, the Napster. You got thing. Napster,
0: you've got the and then with Napster that was the, the Mission Impossible. Uh, yeah, the song. M the MI2 I the M I two. song, disappear. I disappear. You know, so you have you have the S and M shows with the orchestra. Then you, they go into the new millennium. Mind you, they had a tour. The it was the the Millennium tour excellent tour they were still hotter than ever you know still selling out stadiums oh yeah you know it could come to 2001 they had this issue with i Disappear" because the song hadn't come out yet and all of a sudden it's on all over the radio yeah you know and on the internet so they have the, the napster problem and then they're going to make a new album and jason leaves it's like whoa jason leaves james goes into rehab and you know in 2003 they come out with this album that is, I'm a, I'm a huge Metallica fan. It's hard for me to say negative things about them, but I understand where people come from when they say this album lost them. I get it. It's not a strong album. If you're gonna go through the entire catalog, it's their weakest album. But I, I between load, I mean between Reload and that one, Reload has really good highlights. They've got but over four all, there's it's fourteen a yeah there's fourteen songs on them, and and three of them are good. If
1: you took all the the hits from and I, I, mean, I don't mean hit hits but yeah. like if you took the strong highlights from Load and Reload and put them on one album oh, that and got amazing. rid of all the crap mm-hmm. yeah, th- those two albums w- I mean that one album would be right. amazing
0: exactly so you know you come to, to St. Saint Anger St. Saint Anger the song itself it, as a, as a put it in a, in a demo format is probably really good Frantic is probably really good in a demo format but then to, to do what they did to it you know with digitizing it and basically just cutting and pacing each portion of the song along the way yeah, just... and and then the collaborative songwriting as or not, not even songwriting the collaborative lyric writing just to see that in the movie was kind of like whoa, that's just kind of weird you know you're yeah. kind of you're kind of stepping on James's toes here but they came up with some good words but in the end the songs overall were not strong and they would to me it almost looked like just watching the movie they were just trying to put songs out to get something out so that they can then figure out what they were going to do as far as a tour. It's I, I'm just kind of
1: crazy to me. I mean, you, you, you have a band that that was like one of the toughest, meanest bands that that was playing, and they had an attitude. I remember seeing Rat talk to them. They were like, oh, yeah, we're all in the metal scene together. And, and the Metallica guys are just like, we're not even in the same universe. <laughs> and, and so they're you not. have these guys, and they have this, this aura about them that they're just... They're the the guys, and that's it. Like, love them or leave them. And Mm -hmm. then they put out St. Anger. They put out the movie, and the movie just does not show them in a positive light. It's just very, like, watching Dr. Phil. It was. But
0: I stepped back from that so that I can say, this isn't Metallica. Let's think about four guys. And that's that's why I was able to absorb it a little bit better because I wasn't, to me, I wasn't watching Metallica. I was watching four guys that, that have a life.
1: And that's different because you're older than me, too. Right. So for me in high school, seeing a bunch of guys crying, (laughs) it just didn't really, you know, it it didn't project the right image. And and I don't think they're happy with the product that got put out either.
0: I think Um, overall they were not happy with it at first. I think maybe now they've accepted it now because, you know what, it it, is something that had to happen in their eyes. Yeah,
1: but not every band goes through that. Like, just we have to stay together. Let's work out these problems. They move on and do different things, and it's not always a positive outcome. And luckily, Death Magnetic was very good. What ended up happening was a lot of fans got lost. In oh, the mix, yeah, a lot of fans, got lost. and it just wasn't something that needed to be so public for most fans,
0: right? And and that's and I I completely understand that from from your point of view. Because I can say, yeah, they lost fans. They lost fans with Napster because the guys on Talking Maiden. Josh sits there and says, after Napster, I never listened to Metallica again. And it's only been recently that Nesbitt got him back I into didn't listening even, to it.
1: I didn't have a problem with Napster. I totally understood where they were coming from. Just like like I said with the, the whole thing with the, the photography issue. I completely understood. But when I was in high school, there was a Napster Bad. And I don't know if you remember yeah, these I remember animations. remember <laughs> but but that really made metallica look stupid oh and, yeah and i stuck with them through that and i was waiting and waiting and waiting for this awesome new album that was going to come out and i remember even seeing the album cover and i was like cool that's a pusshead mm-hmm. cover it's really cool looking and i put it in the cd player and i'm driving home and i'm just like what is this
0: and it's funny because the reviews of that album you know they're talking about oh Metallica's using blast beats Metallica's got, you know, they've got this sound. Blast
1: beats on a trash can.
0: Were, I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, I don't even put what they put on as uh, on the song St. Anger as blast beats because uh, that's not blast beats. They did double bass, but that's he didn't it. do blast beats. No. Whatever it was, it, I mean, the trash can sound, they were trying to make it sound like it was it, they were in a garage. It, a garage doesn't sound like that. Go back to garage days. You mm-hmm. know what? That's what a garage sounds like. No, it just sounds thin, but it doesn't necessarily sound Should've like a like set it up th-
1: like they had their old garage with the right with the mattresses on the walls and just recorded a real honest true garage days. Yeah. Right,
0: you know, and and for me, again, stepping back and understanding where other fans are coming from when they lost Metallica, Metallica didn't lose me. I was, for me, it was kind of like I was just disappointed. Mm-hmm. And they didn't lose me because I went to see them on the 2003 Sanitarium tour with Limp Bizkit and Lincoln Park. They were to me. That they were to bad. me is
1: like the the biggest nightmare. Oh.
0: <laughs> well, it was weird. So you're talking about you got the Deftones, uh, Mudvayne, Lincoln Park, Limp Bizkit. And then metallica
1: and that to me just shows the sorry state of affairs for metallica at that point <laughs> that
0: that whole crew <laughs> yeah you know, because they and that's that was part of that and then that's part of the reason why orion didn't work mm-hmm. okay or if they would have done what ozzy did with ozfest not necessarily pay the bands to, or have the, the the bands pay them but bring out metal bands mm-hmm. if they would have brought them instead of you know, what's cage elephant or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, you know, it, You're putting yourself oh, mod, with a bunch they, of alternative. They put bands. modest mouse on the bill. I mean, I get that they like those bands, but you got to understand your crowd doesn't like that. You're, you have to know your crowd.
1: Yeah, you're labeling yourself alternative by accident. Right. I mean, you're you're surrounding yourself with a bunch of alternative bands, I mean,
0: and those people. So the, the the musicians like Metallica, some of the fans like Metallica, but the Metallica fans that are your hardcore group don't like those bands.
1: Yeah, like would you would you want to go see Napalm Death and Elton John together? I mean... I
0: wouldn't want to see either <laughs> one of those two.
1: I mean, I don't I'm like Napalm Death and I don't like Elton you're John. You're a fan of one. Do you want to go see the other? No. Not, not likely. I mean, it no. may be. It would be kind of an interesting show. But, right, but you know, I mean... I'm, Elton John comes out and sings the last song with Napalm Death. I
0: <laughs> I mean look for for, for what it's worth it's something similar to that, okay? Um, the Queen tribute that happened in ninety two. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have all these bands across the 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 universe. Black Sabbath, Guns N' Roses was there. Obviously Queen was there, Metallica was there, and yet there was all these other Elton John was there, George Michael. But you're talking
1: about paying tribute to one specific
0: band, right? You're paying tribute to them, but what I'm saying is that there's this this eclecticness Mm -hmm. that people are there to see, not necessarily one particular band. They're there to see everybody, or they're there to see just one artist. I mean, it it, it all depends on what the person wants. But they're they're there to listen to Queen. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the big difference. You know, if you go to a Metallica festival, you're You're there. You're you're expecting Metallica. Right. You're, you're exactly. Yeah. You're you're expecting the same Ozfest. You go to Ozfest, you're not expecting to hear Post Malone, no, okay, or Travis Scott. You don't want that. Didn't that. Get me started or, on that <laughs> album. <laughs> you're you. That's not what you want. You want what you saw. I mean, even even then, Wicked Wisdom in one of the shows was Jada Pinkett Smith's metal band. That was legit metal. But there's a metal band, right? Yeah. And but Ozzy himself is not a, a metalcore guy but he brought metalcore bands and he basically. But gave, they're still within the realm right, of what you're expecting. Right, exactly. You know, and even then the bands would get lighter. Like for instance, you have all these metalcore bands, but Rob Zombie's headlining the second stage. Okay. You have all these metalcore bands, but black label Society's headlining the second stage at some point. You know, Slipknot got premiered on that tour. Those things are what you expect. I wasn't going to go there and say, Oh yeah, I want to listen to modest mouse open up for black Sabbath. What the hell. Yeah. So that's why Orion didn't work. That's why Metallica lost more fans. They may have gained different fans with different with yeah. their albums, or something, but they did not gain new fans or keep old fans. It's like one of these things. It was almost like a wash. You didn't do anything to to help yourself. Yeah. And so they have this losing proposition that should not have been a losing proposition. They they have way too many fans in general for something like that to be a losing proposition. If they would have brought out a whole host of up and coming metal bands like they were back in 1982, that would have succeeded. That would have blown the doors off of Ozfest. I mean, Slipknot does it with Knotfest. Yep. I mean, come on. It's not that hard of a concept. If you're going to put together a festival, two nights or three nights, whatever it is, you need to bring out what is going to pay your bills, what your bread and butter is. Don't bring out Modest Mouse. You know, Cage the Elephant. I don't even know who else was on there, but none of them were metal bands.
1: Yeah, I mean when it boils down to it, these guys they don't owe us anything. You know, they're they're just putting a product out and if you like it, you like it. Right. But it just it just whenever I heard Saint Anger, it, it my love for the band was never the same. I liked Death Magnetic, but it didn't bring anything back for me. Um the newest album, Hardwired, it's a lot better. I I, I really enjoy hardwired. But still, I haven't reached that same feeling about Metallica that I've ever I ever had before.
0: Right. And for me, being a diehard fan of Metallica, Sane Anger was a disappointment. Death Magnetic was definitely a, a return to form, if you want to look at it that way. Close to. I mean, I guess you could say it's a, it's the next ev- step in the evolution after the Black album. Or even maybe in between and Justice for All and the Black album. Because there's some stuff that's harder. Yeah on uh, death magnetic and then from death magnetic you go to hardwired hardwired is across the board a really good strong album but it has a lot of ups and downs as far as you know the the peaks and valleys there's a lot of strong songs There's not too many there's to me the weakest song in the album is murder one which is the song that's a tribute to lemmy that i could have dealt without i put in lords of summer in in its place and it would have been a really good album it's still a really good album. I think you know, it's too been
1: long to be honest.
0: I mean, and that's the other problem. They just keep writing longer and longer. I mean, they're like Iron Maiden. They just keep writing longer and longer songs. It's like, dude, just come I on. I don't mind
1: the longer songs, just keep the album to a, you know, a reasonable length. Don't keep going. I, I you know, if if I'm driving to work, I I listen to an album on the way to work, I expect something 50 minutes or less. No, oh, but look at know, Iron remember it was
0: ninety minutes. Uh, yeah. It's you know?
1: Same thing. It's hard to get to those those songs at the end sometimes.
0: Right. I mean yeah. Metallica it was kind of weird because theirs was eighty five minutes or something like that. It wasn't really it was just past enough to put put everything on one C D. So they split it almost like two albums. It was twelve songs, six and six. And it, it literally almost treats itself like two albums, but they decided to put it all on one album. It's not a bad album, but what happens is you, ha- as a fan, you can choose to accept or not accept what they're doing now. So if you want to stay a fan of Metallica, you 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 can't just sit there and say I'm going to live off the first four albums because
1: you absolutely
0: can. You no, know, well you can, <laughs> but you're not. But you, but you're not going to go to a concert and expect them to play just the first four albums. So what I'm what I'm getting by that is like you can't. A person could live in the first four albums and that's all they want to do, but that's not a fan. With Metallica, the the band has changed. Lars said the other day, uh, "Master Puppet sounds too tight; it should be a little bit looser the way we play now." They have a completely different style of recording, completely different style of playing. You know, you're either on board with it or you're not. That's and the same for any band. True. I mean, every musician, every artist, and so like that. But as a fan, do you accept it or you don't accept it? You can or cannot. Most of the fans have accepted that. I have accepted it. Metallica is a is a conversation for another time <laughs> at this point um we've got other stuff to attend to is there any other band you want to mention i mean i, I wanted to mention
1: in flames okay they were a big influence on me i mean I, I was a huge fan they were the really the the guys that pushed the Gothenburg sound you know at the gates existed before them they were the they were the originators i think but in flames was one of those bands that really brought that around that made it popular they literally changed their style with an album called Reroot to Remain. I mean that you couldn't say we're changing more clearly.
0: <laughs> and, so was that was that uh, album title designed to indicate to the fans that that's what they were doing? We're okay. we're we're so changing things up. Reroot to remain. Mm-hmm. So basically they're changing their style to remain relevant. It, was that the idea? I mean
1: that's that's the way it reads to me. Okay. Um, uh, they they had put out Clayman, which was probably the most mature album. A lot of I th- there's a mixture of fans. There's there's fans that say that Clayman's kind of like their black album, mm-hmm. okay. where it's different enough from what they were doing before, but it still was a natural progression of where they were getting. Okay. But there are fans that say Clayman was the last good album, and there's fans that say the prior album Colony was the best last good album. I'm of the belief, like, I love Clayman. I think it was a great album. When they hit Reroot to Remain, I just was kind of sitting there scratching my head. What what, what did they do? Mm-hmm. I, it's so different than what they were putting out before. It became like an alternative metal from being a death metal band. So they were kind of death slash alternative because of the vocals. The playing style just completely changed. No more solos. It was all kind of industrial Mixture of uh, like electronic guitars, you know, just so different. And I I kind of like the next album that came out after that, which was a soundtrack to your escape. It had some cool elements. It was it was more clean album. the The, the previous album was was kind of
0: muddy, mm-hmm. and this was more clean. But how was it? How were the songs in comparison? Were they in the same it, vein as the reroute It kind
1: of went back a little bit. But mm-hmm. not it, it it seemed more like um it almost if you listened to them, you'd say these are in reverse order, you know this right, this, okay. this progression makes more sense in reverse order, right by the time like the next couple of albums, they completely lost me. This was just alternative metal, they lost all the all the solos, the very intricate, not symphonic but uh, melodic metal, mm-hmm. they lost all that, and it just never and they've got never my come attention back, back. yeah, I mean they released a a, a set of singles like a, a EP that had Depeche Mode covers and you know they'd always kind of done that but they when they did their first Depeche Mode cover which was Everything Counts it was a metal version this was a Depeche Mode song <laughs> and it just it's disheartening because I was such a diehard fan they're not even the same band there's not even the same members the only person right, left you mentioned yeah that. well there's two people left from what would be the classic lineup the drummer is now the guitarist and songwriter and the, the singer sings in a completely different style. Hmm. So that's a hard one for me.
0: I'm trying to think of a band who has, has done a, like a 180 like that and I can't think of anything. The only one I, that when, while you were talking about this that I was thinking of and I read about them, I don't know anything about them. But I read this the other day. Amorphous was doing a anniversary tour for, for their, I guess, their first major album or first big album that they had the album was supposed to be death metal and it sounds like that you know it has the growling vocals and but it has the there's a there's a melodicness to it unlike the, the Gothenburg and, and and the Swedish death metal and all that stuff this one is like totally like almost like a morbid angel type of vocals and very very heavy and dark but yet there was there was a, a hook to it but the band changed and they actually have clean vocals now and hooks and all that stuff and and so i, I i'm trying to think of a band that, that would kind of do like a one eight it's like it's like asking like thinking you know like david vincent you know and he's like doing country music now yeah you know so it's kind of like that's a big flip
1: well that was that was what, one thing that put a lot of people off about stephen tyler was his oh the his, country album yeah country album but that's it so just,
0: late in their career now no understood know. but right. it's
1: same same effect it was like what what are you doing
0: so, as far as In Flames is concerned, I mean, are you still listening to them now?
1: Uh, every album that comes out, I always give one listen. You give it a chance. And, see. Yeah, because it was such a big deal to me. Right. And I it's not like I can't find something to enjoy, but it just doesn't grab me. Which and is, it the, one, keep which me is the
0: one that has the bird on the cover?
1: Uh, that was uh, Sounds of a Playground Fading.
0: Okay. I, I, being when I was working in the record store, that was probably... The most popular one I kept seeing over and over and over again. Um, that was well, that
1: was from a couple of years ago. That was from like 2010 ish.
0: Uh, there was this this one that I'm thinking about was in stores around 2004.
1: 2004 would have been, um, it's like uh, to that's me, the soundtrack to your escape. It has a circle, like a gold circle on the cover.
0: Uh, this to me, for some reason, has like, like blood dripping down.
1: Oh, uh, that was a uh, come clarity. Yeah, like uh, um, there was a guy on the cover like clutching his heart. I
0: don't. Remember. It was white. I was just asking because I just wanted to know if that was one of the albums that you liked.
1: No, I, the the last one that I really liked was from 1999 or okay. 2000. 2000 was uh, Clayman. It was just such a distinct change in sound that it was, and and just everything they were doing, their visual style, what they looked like on stage, changed. Wow. Um, reroot to remain.
0: Reroute to Remain Remain what? We don't know All right, so (laughs) that brings us to (laughs) Towards the end of our show here But we've got the big four That we need to talk about Which was just a difficult decision to make this week And I think this is going to surprise Both of us, what we choose Why don't you go ahead and go first And tell me what your big four Intro opener songs are
1: Okay, well uh, Number four uh, I had to pick My Well, I don't know if it's my favorite Megadeth song, but it's definitely one of my favorite Megadeth songs. And it's uh, Holy Wars, Punishment Due. It's just such a brilliantly written song. Definitely one of the best from that era, the first three, four albums. I think it's probably one of the the most mature songs that Dave wrote
0: back then. Yep, and that coincides, that's my number three. Interesting, okay. So I had that in there too. Okay. So your number four is Megadeth, Holy Wars. So what's your number three?
1: Uh, number three is Painkiller by Judas Priest.
0: Well, that's mine. No, I actually left them off. <laughs> oh. I was that, That's my honorable mention, if you want to put it that way. Okay. I, I had them on there. I, I think there's there's nothing that smacks you more in the face than that intro drum cover.
1: Oh, yeah. The Scott Travis being on drums rather than uh, the... Dave Holland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the we all, we reliable all... Dave Holland.
0: <laughs> the slow and steady.
1: It was not something I expected. And it's to this day my favorite Judas Priest album and my favorite Judas Priest song. There you go. Uh, number two, Aces High by Iron Maiden. Ooh, number
0: two, huh?
1: Yeah, that was a tough one because uh, there's so many good first songs by Iron Maiden. I, I could have probably filled the whole list with Iron Maiden songs. <laughs> Same with Judas Priest. I mean, I could have picked Hell in and Electric Guy, you know, Exciter. Free Will Burning. I love Free Will Burning. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Iron Maiden, I could have picked Caught Somewhere in Time. Uh, Where Eagles There, one of my favorites as well. Mm-hmm. Brave New World, even the new song, uh, If Eternity Should oh, Fail. Brave,
0: no, it was Wicker Man was the first song. In the album. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, sorry. Off of Brave New World. Right, off yeah, of Brave New World. Wicker Man. But yeah, uh, If Eternity Should Fail, fantastic song. But if I have to pick my favorite Iron Maiden opener, it's got to be Ace's High.
0: All right, I like that. I, I mean, that was I was on my list. I definitely, it was between that and another song, so I'll I'll uh, (laughs) add that on my list. Uh, Uh, Number one. So your number one, big Uh, four. Overactive
1: imagination by Death.
0: Wow, it's uh, wait. So overactive. I heard that the other day. It's from
1: individual thought patterns. Just absolutely love that song. There's a there's a really cool guitar solo in there. Mm-hmm. You can hear the interaction between the bass and the and the guitar. They're doing different things, but it's all working together. They're just it's just so brilliantly written. And it's my favorite death album.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, the more the more and more you keep talking about it, the more and more I keep listening to them. <laughs> so that's that's a good thing. All right. My big four. Is a little different, and yet at the same time is some similarities. Okay, so honorable mention I mentioned was Judas Priest, Painkiller. Number four is Overkill's "Coma" off of the Horoscope album. Okay, and that that song is it, it's so cool because it just it builds up and is literally it's like it starts off with a slow little thing and and that kind of, Overkill's kind of been uh, known for that in the later years. Slow little intro. just kind of picking at the guitars the drum comes in and does a little thing here and there and they just slowly fade in and fade up and and then all of a sudden it's just blast and punch you in the face that was probably the first of those to do that in 1991 that song still to this day kicks my ass a ton of double bass on that I, I love it love it so that's my number four my number three Megadeth Holy Wars we just talked about that
1: just such a killer song. <laughs> it is. I mean,
0: it, the technical playing on that, you know, and that was the classic Megadeth with Marty Friedman and Nick Menza and, and Junior and Dave. It
1: was the the first with uh, yes, Marty was, Friedman. it
0: was first with Marty Friedman, and that was just such a classic album. And just to start off the album that way, and it just continued. The whole album was straight through. It was just awesome. It just kicked ass all the way through. <laughs> For sure. So number two, and this is where I'm going to throw you, Ozzy Osbourne, I Don't Know i love wow i love that song just that slow build and then that guitar that randy comes in i mean that's the first time that basically the world hears randy rhodes japanese people and some california people knew who randy was (laughs) but but basically the world the world now knows randy rhodes and that intro riff is amazing the song a lot of some people criticize it some people You know, say it's it's immature. It's not all this. I to me, I mean, the riff kills it, and the song just is just amazing to me from beginning to end. I love. To me, I like the lyrical content because you know you're talking about Ozzy being asked all these different questions, and his basic answer is you know what, throwing his hands up in the air, saying I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, he's yeah. There's a lot to it that feels right right after. Leaving Black Sabbath.
0: Exactly. And it, so it's a perfect statement. And and I love the song. And to, to lead off an album like that, you know, you get that big crash of the Chinese gong. It's just awesome. So that's my number two. Number one, you had difficulty. You could have chosen tons of different songs from Iron Maiden. I chose Where Eagles Dare.
1: Okay. I mean, and, it's fair. It's, right. That's the other and, one I was going to pick. And I
0: chose Eagles De- Where Eagles Dare because... As great as, as Aces High is as an intro song, and they've, they've done it over several tours, they played Where Eagles Dare this tour, and I think they could have started with either one. But I think they had to start with Aces High because of what they did with the plane and everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it it was not just the first song on that album, it was first song on the concert. Right, exactly. I mean, it's that heavy of a hitter.
0: When Where Eagles Dare came out, that was the first song that Nico played on the mm-hmm. album. The first song that he had to play on the tour he had to open every show with that song with that single bass drum sound on the intro that drumming place. He played it with it's one bass drum. Such a cool drum beat at the beginning. Yes. And so he learned the song. It took him forever to learn the song. And then he said, What? Do what? That's the first song at a concert? <laughs> Were you crazy? That's why it's the song, because that was such a difficult part for him to learn. That's why it became my number one big four intro song. Although, I mean, there's so many different songs from Maiden you could have picked. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I. Except Gangland. No one's going to pick Gangland. Well, <laughs> Was it invid- that wasn't no, invad- the first one. <laughs> invaders, I'm sorry, Invaders.
1: Invaders is still a cool song. They just, they, it's not one they really
0: play or ever. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it wasn't as strong uh, uh, an intro. It's song probably
1: the of. weakest song on that album, to be honest.
0: And Gangland. Yeah, I mean, I would have rather have heard Total Eclipse, which was put on later, than you know Gangland or Invaders. But I think what was cool about Invaders was that was the introduction. Bruce Dickinson. Here, here you go. Here's your intro to him. He's screaming. He's doing everything. He's showing why he's the air raid siren. Oh yeah. Know? I mean, and, and it's still a
1: good song. I like it. Right. It's just, it's just surprising to me that my favorite uh, Iron Maiden album has probably the weakest intro of of any of the Iron Maiden albums.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there were so many songs to choose from. I mean, it was between Judas Priest. You know having at least five or six songs you could pick from Iron Maiden, five or six songs you could pick from Megadeth in themselves. I mean, every band has. You know, I, look, I didn't pick a Metallica song. I
1: like, was very surprised, and, and I, that's why I said it was
0: gonna be surprising because you know what? As strong as Battery is, as strong as as um, Blackened is, for whatever reason, those songs. I'm kind of. I'm just so used to them that these other songs were so much more of a. If I hear them first song in a concert, I know this is gonna be a good show. Oh, yeah, you know, and that's that's and, the thing,
1: and that was that was kind of what I was looking for. Was there was other songs that that to me have always been great intro songs, and they're they're so cool, so cool. But the qualifier for me was something that really just like smacked me into like, mm-hmm. holy crap, this is awesome. I mean, just think of songs like I, I skipped on Neon Nights by Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. such a cool song. It didn't hit me in the right. same way. Cowboys from Hell, Pantera. Same thing. Such a cool song. Such a great song. Just didn't hit me in the same way. Mm -hmm. And that's what I I just, I couldn't pick those.
0: Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. So we're at that point of the show where we got to tell everybody where they can find us. So Chris, why don't you let them know where they can find us?
1: Uh, You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you consume your metal podcasts. If you enjoyed our show and agreed with our opinions or just want to rip us a new one, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com. That's it for us. I'm Chris K, and on behalf of Kenneth Dean, we'll see you next week.